how incredibly insignificant we really were. Um, and so she really kind of drilled this in. I remember one day she um, she put up on the on the board like a, a really long piece of paper, um, you know, maybe a good ten feet long, and um, had like a timeline on it. And she talked about you know how many billions of years old the universe was, um, and then kind of charted that out, and um, then tried to talk about when human beings came about within that universe, and kind of charted that out. And then she talked, kept talking it through until she gets to kind of our lives, our at that time, I don't know, 16, 17-year-old lives. And it was this tiny, tiny, tiny little thing on there. And then she talked about, you know, the things we do in our lives that we think are so significant and important. And she just said, you know, look at that. And, and she talked about how big the universe was, how giant it was, and how tiny the Earth was within that universe. And she just kept pointing to that timeline saying, you know, you, you really are incredibly insignificant. In fact, you're just a blip. You're a blip. And she, I remember her sort of holding her fingers up there as tightly as she could together to grind that into our skulls that, um, that we were nothing or next to nothing. Um, now, you know, I, I fortunately had grown up in the church and um, had, you know, heard the scriptures again and again. And while at the time I didn't really question the, the um, you know, the truth of whether, whether she was right or wrong about the timeline or the size of the universe, but something in what she said, even if those things were true, her conclusion that we were just a blip seemed false. It seemed like the wrong, like you didn't have to conclude that. Um, and just to give you an example, the, the scripture is full of this kind of thing, but I just want to give you, give you one piece. This is from Psalm 139. This is uh, David praying. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so we, we get this clear picture that God is deeply, deeply invested in the tiniest little things about us. So even if I am a blip, in that spectrum, he still sees not just me, but even the hairs of my head as incredibly, incredibly significant. He's, he, is, he has made me, he's made me wonderfully, and he's done that for each one of us. Um, so he has instilled us, even in the midst of this grand universe, he has instilled us with incredible significance. And not just, not just ourselves, for sure, but, but even the things we do as Aaron talked about, our abilities, the things we, we have to offer, the, the work we can do, um, all of these things are instilled by God with great significance, and there's nothing that can take away from that. So let's look together at the First Corinthians passage, the 12 that was read today. Um, I think there are um, at least four kind of truths, if you will, um, that I want to draw out from that passage. Um, 
kind of a, a sort of summary statement um, is that we, we have, we see Paul talking about here that his image of the body um, and the many members of the body, using an actual physical human body is, is what he's talking about there with hands and eyes and, and feet and ears. Um, and he, this, this body, by the way, just, just to kind of like get us in the mode of what Paul's talking about here, this body both means the church at large, you know, sort of the grand fullness of, of the body of Christ, um, but also I think Paul uh, is wanting it to, to hit home at a very local, very, um, you know, Corinthian level. Um, he's wanting them to sort of see each other as the members of the body. So he means it, I think, in both senses here, um, and I think it's, it's helpful for us to reflect on it in both ways. Um, so just kind of a summary statement here. We have special things to do. Each one of us is special and significant, and we have special things to do. We have special callings, if you will, um, from God, and I'll use that concept of calling again and again. It's, it's not a um, super familiar one outside the church, but um, I think it has, it has this, this value. We see a pattern in the scriptures again and again of this interesting thing where God sort of prompts and calls us sometimes to a grand calling, um, you know, like a, a, a life of ministry as a, as a pastor. But sometimes um, it's a very tiny little thing um, that might only last for a second or, or so. Um, each of these could be described as a type of calling or prompting from God. So we have these, these callings or special things to do. Um, they're all uh, initiated or fueled by God. So that, that's the key thing that Paul calls out here, and I'll go into that. Um, and they are all for the common good, or as he says in Ephesians, the building up of the church, the edification of the church. So um, these are the, the things Paul is focusing on as he talks about the different members and their different roles or callings or abilities. Um, so the first truth within that is that uh, God is the source of all these abilities and actions that he calls us to do. Um, secondly, each member is needed by the church. So every single one of, one of the members of the church, every one of us here gathered here who is a part of this church, we are needed by the church. We are not expendable. We are not, you know, we could do with or without you. Each one of you is needed. It has actually been um, knitted together by God Himself, specifically, um, to be a part of the, to play a role, to be a part of this body. Secondly, the third third truth, and this is a lot like the second, is that each of you needs each other. Um, each one of you, as you look around the room, everyone you see, you need that person. Okay, so not only does the body need you, but you also need each other. The fourth truth um, is this. When each member is lifted up, and when we are each made equal, and I'll talk more about that, the body becomes unified. So as we, as we see each other as essential, and as we honor each other in that essentialness, um, it actually brings unity to the body. So going into the first first concept here, this is kind of highlighted in verses 4 through 6. I'll just read that again. Um, and by the way, this is the idea that God is the source of all good gifts. He's the source of all things um, that, that the church is called to do. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. 
there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And so we kind of get this almost comprehensive, comprehensive sweep of, you know, gifts. And there he might be calling to mind, you know, the spiritual gifts specifically that he then goes on to list. But special, special even supernatural God-given abilities. But then he, he kind of puts it into some rather mundane or sort of comprehensive set of things. He talks about um, varieties of service. Um, these, these might be some of the smaller, like, little instances of just, you know, things that you're called to do to help someone that, that might not get noticed at all, that might not sort of jump out as being, you know, super special, but they're, they're critical, and Paul gives them a whole sort of uh, sense of self within its list of three things. And then varieties of activities. Um, similar to the service, these are this is a kind of a catch-all. Um, you know, activities is a good point to almost anything we do. Um, but fundamentally, for all three of these things, he's he's saying three times that God is the one who powers those things. Now, uh, you know, especially when we think about you know our um, tendency as a culture to sort of to go. You know, you got Nike saying, "Just do it." There's, there's this, this kind of sense of um, we have a culture that just says, you see something good, go do it. Get out there and do it. There, there's, a, um, there's kind of a, a, a pause here that um, God calls us to, I think. And, and it's that remember what you, need to, what you need to go do it. Remember the power source that you need to, to get it done and to actually go out and act. If you just go out and act, you're at risk because... The scripture says, if the Lord does not build the house, the builders build in vain. And so we actually can't just go build a house. We can't just go do something. Um, we actually have to first look to God and say, what are you doing? What do you want done? And he might, he might not right away say, oh, here it is, go do it. We might have to wait on him. You think about the early disciples after Christ had, um, uh, had died and, and had ascended. Um, he said, wait. And they had to wait for many, many days, um, waiting, not, not knowing kind of what are we waiting for. And so they were holed up in, in upper rooms. They were holed up in, in secret places, um, knowing that they could be taken at any day for you know, the same way Jesus was. Um, and they were waiting on him during that time, really deeply together on a daily basis, waiting. Um, and so certainly we too... As we think about, you know, going out and acting, putting our abilities to, to work on behalf of the church, um, there is a first step, and that's to look to God and say, what would you have me do? What are you doing? And what, where do you want me to join in? Again, on the same point, we can't, we can't muster up um, the, the calling we want to have. Um, I remember as a, as a kid reading the scriptures, um, reading the Bible and, you know, seeing what Moses did and he parts the Red Sea and he, you know, casts all these plagues upon the Egyptians and, you know, you, you read what Jesus does and there's, there's miracle after miracle after miracle and I'm thinking, okay, th this is what the people of God do. Why can't I do any of that stuff? Why, why, why can't I just heal people when I pray for them? Um, and I, I was even kind of a little frustrated with this sense of, you know, that's that's the callings that the people of God have. Why can't I do those things? Um, but we, we can't. We can't. We can't just sort of 
we can't make God do the things that we fantasize about or think that we want done. We have to wait on him. And he, he's the one who apportions those things. He makes the choices about who does things and when they do things and when they're able to do things. We can't magically kind of make those things happen. Um, so we wait on him. Now, before I go on to the second kind of truth and kind of unpacking that, I just want to talk a, a little bit about a couple of the ways in Scripture that we see people um, respond to God's prompting or calling to act um, and, and kind, of, kind of talk about that a bit. The first one is Moses and the burning bush. This might be a familiar story. If it's not, I'll kind of recap it a little bit. Um, the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. And Moses has managed to kind of uh, get out, and he's out in the desert. And God makes this bush light on fire, but it's not burning. And Moses goes over to look at this strange thing. Um, and God begins to talk to him in that and begins to call him out and say, I, I want you to go be my spokesperson um, to the Israelites and to Pharaoh. And Moses is sort of like, well, but they won't believe me. And he, there's, this, there's this back and forth that go, that's extended throughout the dialogue as Moses is, is coming up with a number of reasons why this just doesn't seem like a, a very, it's, it's not, it doesn't have a good likely outcome. God keeps reassuring him. Um, and eventually Moses says, oh, my Lord, you know, you're asking me to be a spokesperson here. I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, which is right now. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And there's frustration in his voice at this point. Actually, we find out in a second that he's, he's getting a little angry with, uh, with Moses. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So we see here, this is an important one. One, that when God does call us out, it is normal to, to be tempted to respond in fear and to say, I, I can't do that. That's not, I'm not set up for that. And I've certainly done that again and again in my life. But what we see here is that when, when we're thinking about what is God calling us to do in the church, um, while it's certainly useful to take a spiritual gifts inventory and do things like that, though those can be super helpful, that's not the only starting point. We see here that if Moses took a spiritual gifts inventory, it would not have come out well on the being a spokesperson gift, right? That, that was not high on his radar. He, he makes the case, and I have no reason to doubt him, that he was actually bad at that sort of thing. Um, but God says, he doesn't say, oh, no, you actually are good. Remember that time that you, you know, were able to yell at those guys and get them away from the well? He, he doesn't do anything like that. What he says is, who made your mouth? Who made your, your voice? Who, who actually, like, can make you do anything I want you to do? Who gives you this power? It's me. It's, it's not, you don't engender this thing. You, you, don't, you don't muster it up. And even if you had it yesterday, who's to say you will have it tomorrow? Your, your past history and abilities are like, like, I'm the one who controls them. I'm the one who gives you those things. So don't think that just because you're a great spokesperson yesterday means that you're going to be a great spokesman for me tomorrow. 
There's no guarantees. I am the one who calls and I am the one who supplies you the abilities that you need to do what I call you to do. So if you didn't have it before, you may have it tomorrow if I decide you will. And if you had it before, you might not have it tomorrow. Don't trust in yourself, trust in me. And this is, this is critical, I think, as we come into the church and we say, you know, hey, I, what, do, what, do I, what do I have to bring? Here are all these wonderful gifts that I have to bring to you, Aaron, put me to work. And as we do that, I think what we need to do is we need to go through that discernment process. Definitely the gifts that, that God has manifested in you in the past are important, and we need to look at those things. But there, there's something spiritual going on here, and we need to look and see what God is calling us to do, ca calling each one of us what role he has for us, and, and that's, a, that's a discerned thing. Uh, secondly, we can, we can respond in pride, and this is kind of similar. This is, um, uh, there's a story in 2 Kings where Na a guy named Naaman, who's the commander of the army of the king of Syria, um, he, was, he had leprosy and he wanted to be healed, um, and so he was advised to go to the prophet Elisha and seek healing. Um, now this is a, a guy who's, you know, he's commander of an entire army. He's a, he's a very important guy. And Elisha tells him to go and wash in the River Jordan, um, which was a, uh, you know, it was in a conquered territory. It was seen by him as very dirty and you know, kind of a, a, um, a lowly thing to do. And so Naaman became angry um, and said, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go wash in their muddy river. You know, th this, is, this is beneath me. Um, and realized that like, he's got this, you know, crippling disease, but it's beneath him to do this thing that this, you know, out in the middle of nowhere prophet from this conquered people, this prophet who's probably not that good anyways, um, tells him to go to. So he walks away in, in anger, and one of his servants says to him, he says, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, some heroic thing, um, wouldn't you have done it? You would have. You know, then you would have taken up the challenge and run with it. Um, how much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? It's a simple, it's an easy thing. And we see here's a dynamic that I think comes about in us too, um, that we see ourselves in a certain light. Um, we see tasks and roles and, and kind of great abilities that we're called to exercise on behalf of the church. And when the church says, I've got something for you to do, can you um, maybe get some water and give it to that person? Or can you, do you mind greeting people at the door or something? And you say, well, no, that's the easy stuff. You know, have some, you know I've, got, I've got some real abilities here. I've got some real strengths, and I want you to know about those things. Um, I think we're, we're being a bit like Naaman there. Um, you know, we're, we're sort of saying, the, the thing you're calling me to do, it's too easy. It's beneath me. And God calls us to be lowly. I mean, that is, the, that is a primary. In fact, he even says, you know, when, when, the, when they're bringing the children to Jesus, and um, the disciples in their mind are thinking they're... they're they're too, they barely, they don't even understand the words he's saying. They don't understand his great teachings. I mean, I'm putting words in their, in their mouths. I don't know exactly why they didn't want the children to come to Jesus, but they're, they're kind of discouraging that. They're sort of saying they're too lowly. They're, they're, they're not, there's nothing, they're not of significance. Um, 
maybe like my teacher in high school, and they're, they're sort of, they're trying to push them aside, and Jesus says, no, you don't get it. You actually, you have to be like them. You have to be like little children if you want to come to me at all. You don't, you don't come to me based on your qualifications, based on these great things you're going to do. You come to me based on your, just your simple personhood, the, the fact that you, you just say, I have nothing. Like a child, I don't. I don't come bearing, you know, wonderful things that I can do for you. You come with nothing, like an infant coming into the world, and that's the only way we can approach Christ is with nothing. Um, so just to encourage you in that, if if you kind of have struggled with some of that sort of resentment, um, maybe maybe this would uh, would help you out. There, there's. Um, I don't remember, Jeff Thompson, if, if it was you that told me this, but someone who taught me art over the years told me this, that in some of the cathedrals, or maybe many of the cathedrals, there's these um, sculptures and paintings that are so high up and so sort of buried in the intricacies of the cathedral that like, no one ever sees them. Um, they're just sort of, someone's made them, and, they're, and if you go on some special tour, maybe you, you can finally see them, but they might not have been seen in the past hundreds of years. And it just struck me, it's as if these, these artisans and these artists were, were like making little, like almost love letters to God. They, it's not like they, they knew that this thing was so high up there that no, none of the congregation would ever see it. But they're, they're doing something that's, that they're saying, hey God, and, and they, they still take the time to craft it. They don't just say, well, I'm going to make it so it looks good from 500 feet. They make it look good from like right next to it. They put that much love into it. And it's the same thing here. We, we, we should pour ourselves into these little acts of service that never get seen. Um, and the, the beauty there, when Jesus says, um, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. I've wondered for a long time, like, what is the reward he's talking about um, when he says, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Maybe when I get to heaven, he'll give me some big reward for all these accumulated uh, little things I did that no one saw. Maybe that's what he's saying. I think I thought that for a long time. But recently, I've really come to see maybe it's something different. Maybe what it is is you actually gain intimacy with him. Um, if you're always doing things to be rewarded by people, um, you, you maybe kind of grow in your intimacy with those people. You have some sense of like you're being built up by those people. But if you do things as these little private love letters to God, like the sculptors putting their sculptures that no one gets to see but God, and, and doing that, you're, you're actually like, you can grow in intimacy. You can have the sense of like, God, you saw this, and now you're, you're more bonded with him. And that, that's been kind of an experience I've had in my life. Um, so I just recommend that to you. Um, is just kind of, kind of really look at that with eyes of faith and see that you're doing things truly for God. Um, so now on to the, the second truth the first truth is as I said that, that all these things um, that we're called to do come from God the second truth as I said before is that, um, that you are needed by the church I'll just read one of the um, passages in Corinthians that relates to this if the whole body were an ear where would be the sense of smell but as it is God arranged the members in the body each one of them, as he chose. And so you have a special place in the body of Christ. You have a special place in the church. 
Um, no member, none of you is, is indispensable. None of, you, none of you is dispensable, rather. You are all indispensable. Um, one thing that can kind of help us to think about this is that in the, um, throughout the, the scriptures, but particularly in the New Testament, we see familial language. So we will see them calling each other brother and sister, father, mother. Um, we even use some of that language today. Um, and, and so there's this sense of, like, we are family. Um, and contrast this maybe with, like, a, a sense of, like, business culture might be a good one. These are both organizations trying to get something done, the church working to um, spread the kingdom, the business working to make profit. Um, so they're both organizations trying to rally around something. But they, they have a very different dynamic. In the, in the church, it is, like, very much like a family. Um, you don't get to choose your brothers and sisters, your father and mother, your sons and daughters, although that may be, we'll sort of footnote that and say that might be changing a bit, but whatever the case, in general, a family is meant to be just, you get, you get who you get. Um, business is quite different. You, you're actually, to run a business well, you have to be highly selective, you have to have poor performance reviews. At any time that, that you're not performing, you might have to, like, remove someone. You might get fired. In a family, that, that's not meant to happen. You are in that family. You are a part of that family. And the church is that way, too. We don't have performance reviews. There's no sort of threat of if you don't do well enough, you're out. That, that's not the case. Um, we are, we, we've actually been brought together. We can assume that each one of us is needed. Um, the, uh, the third truth, similar to the second, um, is that you need each other. Um, so... If you kind of look around the room here um, and maybe see some people that you know and don't know, you might see some people that you think, oh, yeah, definitely I need that person. They've been a big help to me. But I'm sure there's plenty of us where you're sort of like, I, I either don't know that person um, or I, it would have never occurred to me that I need them. So what do you mean I, I need them? Um, I might never see them again in my life. Um, but, but Paul is saying something here that we, we can't let go and we have to, like, see what this means in the life of our church, and that's that you need every single member of the church. It's not a functioning, it's not, it's not the family we've been called to be if that person isn't there. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more later about kind of how to, how to realize that um, practically. Um, but uh, one thing that you could kind of consider along these lines is um, Praying for, praying for each other, so like, go ahead and find somebody that you don't know, um, and pray for them and say like, well, okay, what are, the, what are the abilities, what are the gifts, what's the special role that God has given that person over there? Um, I remember I was uh, leading, a, as Aaron mentioned, I was leading a small group uh, a while back for an extended period of time, and um, I, I started doing this. Nicole... Uh, uh, then Cunningham, now Sangha, had um, kind of recommended this to me as, as a practice. Is like, well, one of the things that, that you need to do, because you're in this kind of pastoral role, which I never thought of myself as, um, she said, you know, you're, you're called to like really surface the gifts, surface the, the place the person has played. So one of the people that was coming to the small group, um, I was like, okay, well, God, help. I started praying, and I prayed for her and said, I don't know her that well. Help me to know, like, what... And I, I'm praying silently, obviously. I'm praying in my head. She's sitting right there. 
I'm saying, you know, God, what, what is it that you, what are her special gifts? What's her special place? She opens her eyes and she looks at me and she says, you want to know what my gifts are? And I, I'm like kind of floored a little bit because I hadn't said anything to her. And she says, you want to know what my gifts are? Well, I write, God helps me to write poems and I sometimes write them for other people. Here's one for you. And, and so I, w- I would recommend that to you is, is you know, pray for those around you and, and ask God to, to show you, um, you know, show you what their gifts are, show you what the people are. You, you think about the small group thing that we're starting, we're starting a new session of small groups. That's an ideal place to do this kind of thing, to really get to know each other and get to know, like, what is it about that person um, that, that makes them essential to this body. The fourth and final truth um, is a little complex here. When, when each member is a conditional one, when each member is lifted up and made equal, the body is unified. Paul uses this um, language towards the end of, of this passage. Um, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So all these things are done that there may be no division in the body. So that's kind of how I keyed in on the idea that the purpose of all these kind of equalizing activities that are done is that there may not be division, that they would be unified, that the body would be one. Um, So we, we know that, like, Paul tells us elsewhere, and Christ does too, that, um, that all of us in Christ are equal. There is no, no one's better or worse. There is no, you know, the slaves get, you know, they're over here, and the free men are over here, which was common in their society to think those terms. You're like, no, that's not the case. You are all on the same plane. You are all one, male, female, um, race, ethnicity, all these things do not, uh, they don't, it's not that they don't matter, but they're, they're not, they don't unequalize you. You are, you are perfectly equal. Um, and that's clear. But what we see in this passage is not so much an emphasis on what, what might be called, I don't know if I'm using the right word, Sean, help me out there, the ontological status of their equality, but it's a more active thing. It's sort of the, the um, so it's not sort of saying, it's not emphasizing that they are equal. What it's emphasizing is to, to make each other equal. Um, there's, there's kind of an active sense of um, making equality. It says here, God gives honor to those lacking it. Um, we also, in this passage, are, are called to bestow honor and great carefulness to those with less honor that are less presentable. Um, so as I kind of try to, try to unpack this for myself, I think about, well, what is, you know, I don't t- typically think about honoring people. Um, and I don't know if that's just because I'm kind of an, a Midwesterner, but um, I, I was trying to figure out, like, what does it mean to, to honor someone? I thought, well, okay, if, if Aaron comes over, I want to honor him. If, Father, if Bishop Stewart comes over, I want to honor him. So what do I do? And if we're sort of sitting in a small group, I'll get up and say, well, why don't you take my chair? Maybe I've done that, maybe not. But um, anyways, that's what I imagined myself doing it as I was trying to honor somebody, um, is that I would kind of give them my chair. I would make sure that they're taken care of. If I'm in a conversation, um, kind of wrapped up in a conversation, I might you know, wait for a good, good point at which to draw them into that conversation. These are all ways that we, we show honor 
um, to someone that we want to treat as special. And so you think about that here. There are people among us who don't, by the world standards, they don't, they don't get honored. They're not, they're not in those positions where, where honor is the natural thing that one would give them. And so what we're called to do is sort of this, this active equalization is really to look for those people and, um, and actually honor them, actually draw them in, you know, widen the circle um, to draw them in, make, make way for them in the conversation. Um, then what does it mean by saying, if one member suffers, all suffer together, if one member is honored, all rejoice together? Um, this is, I think what this is, is um, a concept of being fully present to one another. Um, I know Bishop Stewart, when I've, so like you, you have a Sunday service and you go to him and you talk to him and he does this like astounding thing where there's people like whizzing all around, many maybe trying to get attention and he's like dead focused on the person he's talking to. Um, he is he's fully present to that person. Um, and it's really actually a, um, like a discipline I'm sure he's had to, to cultivate. I don't think Sunday mornings are the best time uh, to really see the, the, the fully present to each other practice. I, don't, I, I just think Sunday mornings are a tough time to work that out. It does take discipline to do it well. I'm certainly not set up that way. So again, kind of a plug for the small groups is if you want to practice and experience this fully present um, connection with each other, um, I, would, I would recommend that to you, you know, to going into these sort of smaller settings um, and, and, and doing it there. Um, there's actually kind of like, so that this, this brings up sort of almost a fifth truth, like hidden within this text. Um, and that's that as we, um, as we think about this image of the body, the functioning body, all working together, all the members working together for the common good, to edify the church, to build up the church. As we, as we think about that, it's, it becomes really weird to like say, okay, you got this body, and on Sunday morning, Sunday during the day, like the body is active and it's live, it's doing stuff, and then it kind of shuts down for six days. And the next Sunday comes, it's back up and running. You got this weird image of this body, and I don't think that that's, that's the image Paul's dealing with here. He's talking about a live and active body that is continually active, continually working uh, to build the kingdom, to, to build up the church um, within the world. That's the, that's the active, that, that's the image that comes to mind for me. And I, I think that's kind of, again, something that's, that's, that's here. And so as you're kind of hearing this, I just ask you to kind of contemplate these things, both, um, you know, how do you fit in the body? How, do, how does another, those sitting around you, how do they um, connect to you? How do they, uh, how are they significant to you? How are they meaningful, even special to you? What, what are their gifts and abilities that, that might be act, actually essential to you um, and to your own health and to certainly the health of the body? Um, and then uh, also think about, you know, sort of the, the um, our, uh, whether this actually does mean that it's more than, than Sunday. I know many of you are, are very involved. In fact, I was telling Aaron, I'm like, I've been blown away by... Um, how incredibly involved the people in this church are. Um, I think this is a really, a really a gift to, to our church. It's been a gift to me um, to see how active and involved all of you guys, you guys have been. Um, but just I would, I would challenge us to think about 
um, you know, here's, here's something to throw in the mix, is the early Christians were meeting together daily. They were meeting together daily in prayer. And I don't, I don't put that out there as sort of a guilt trip. It's certainly not something that I've practiced. Um, but I, just, I still put it out there for us and say, um, you know, think about how unified the early church was. These images we see of them sharing all things in common and being sort of so fully united. And I, I don't think it's just coincidental that they were also deeply connected daily. And so I just, I'll put that out there for us as well and just say, I realize our lives, our distance from each other, just physical distance from each other is different, but what does it mean then to come together and be unified in this body-like way? Um, and I, again, think that, you know, things that are happening midweek, things that are happening not just on Sunday are, are, are a key way that that can play out for us. Um, so if you could just... Uh, Consider, uh, you know, as we have prayer ministers uh, that'll be up there later, uh, consider the possibility of going and, and praying with them. Uh, you might be in a, in a place, in a time, I know Susan and I were definitely in this, in this um, kind of time of life for quite a while, where we were in need of healing. You know, if I had heard a message like this, I might have been like, okay, you want, you want me to go practice my abilities on behalf of the church? I'm just not there. I've come out of a really tough situation and I'm not able to do this. So you're actually laying something on top of me and just know that that's not what I'm doing. Like that, I'm not putting that on you. There are times where we need healing. Um, we need to, and it may be years. There, there may be very extended times that we need that healing and we're not going to just jump right into the fray and like a lot of energy and, and just go, go, go. And so I would just, I would just encourage you and say this church believes in healing believes that God heals um, and so again the, the one the one action I would recommend to you is to just go and pray with the prayer minister um, pray for that healing and and know that it may be a long time of healing um, and so but even there too I would I would at least ask you to consider um, even that extra effort of joining a small group um, and again, not, not so much to join a small group to be on the go and building the kingdom necessarily, although that may come about too, but more to get healing. Um, becoming part of that small group can be um, an incredible way that, that God and the church can minister um, to you and build you up. Um, and so just, I would, I would strongly recommend that to you. And, and finally, um, you know, if you're kind of hearing this and you're feeling like you're on the outside, you're not part of the body, that all this language of you know different members and body, maybe you've even said, like, I'm not really, uh, this is the first time I'm hearing this, I, I've, not, I've not really been welcomed in, I haven't even made a choice to go into this body, um, and what would that mean, what does that look like? Um, I, I think to kind of sum it up, like, there is this concept of a family, um, and, and we have, those of us who are a part of this body, who are members of the body, um, have been, we have seen that Jesus, um, as the Son of God, uh, made, made a way for all of us who were not part of that family. We were cast out from that family. Um, he made a way that we could be brought in and actually adopted in. So all of us who are part of this, this family, this body, we are adopted sons and daughters. Jesus has brought us in. And so um, I just... That's, that's the open invitation to you. 
um, is that if you're, if you're feeling on the outside, if you're feeling like you're not fully part of the body or even not at all part of the body, know that you don't have to come with special you know, abilities. You don't have to come with any kind of moral threshold or goodness. Um, in fact, as I said before, you, you, you can't come in if you lay claim to having something. Uh, you actually have to, Jesus says, you can only come in if you, if you admit, if you know that you have nothing. Um, if you are like, a, like an infant, like a child, um, that's, those are the ones who can come to Christ. And so I just say, you can do that. You could do that right now. Um, and again, just feel free to come and pray with us um, about what that means. So if you pray with me right now, Lord God, I just I lift up this image of, um, of a body with many members working together um, for the common good and for the building up of the church. And I pray that you would bless this to our minds and our hearts as we meditate on it and we think about um, the way you want to use this image um, to bring about transformation in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.